Continuing in the book of John, and we are in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 23. Remember, last week we talked about the fact that these Greeks represent most of us. The Greeks represent the Gentiles. And the fact that the Greeks are asking to see Jesus, they want to see Jesus, and they're going to get to do so much more than that. The promise of Jesus is that he will be glorified through his death, something that they did not understand when he said it then, but that John understood and is telling us as he's written this later and continues to see the many ways in which Jesus prophesied about what would happen and then did it. John 12, beginning in verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say 
and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This is a passage that in so many ways preaches itself. I'm tempted when I read a passage that's this strong to me to just read it one more time and say, benediction time. Uh, This passage has powerful messages for us in the ways that we need to be like Jesus and the ways that we don't want to be like the people who had fear of man and the people who desired glory for themselves. Verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Guys, does being glorified sound good? That word, I don't know, is, is commonly used in our culture. It's a, a less common word. Big ups probably is used more right now than glorified in our culture. But being glorified sounds like a pretty good thing if you get it at all. Glory, yeah, I want to glorify. Sure, glory is good. The, the subversion that Jesus does of our expectations, the way that he turns everything upside down, the last will be first, the first will be last. He who is greatest among you will be the servant of all. Jesus is about to tell us the path of glory. Time now to be glorified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be executed. And be executed in the way that's reserved for the worst offenders in our society. I'm going to be executed in the most shame-filled way that person can be executed. That's how Jesus is going to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I don't know if you guys ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. When I was a kid, it was, a, it was something that was powerful in my life to just read. Uh, my parents also, we, we had a very G-rated childhood. Literally G-rated. Uh, I, I got in trouble at, at uh, a vacation because I didn't call my parents to ask permission to watch Ghostbusters. Uh, both of my brothers were godlier than I was and averted their eyes from it, but I just watched the whole thing and was like, they're the ones who were babysitting on it. Uh, but in a G-rated childhood, there wasn't a lot of violence that I even encountered. And so when I was, I don't know, six, seven, whatever it was, when I was allowed to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, part of the fascination was just like, what? How did that, that person with arrows and person set on fire and this person attacked by lions? I mean, I was just like, what? I couldn't even imagine. But one of the things that even as a kid I felt really strongly was where's the rescue? Where's the, where's the intervention? God's in charge of everything. You know the Old Testament where a wicked ruler is cast down and he's eaten up with worms inside? Kind of like waiting for that. Where's the lightning bolts? Rome's doing what? So, so okay. I didn't even know the story of Spartacus and I was already waiting for a Spartacus. Like somebody's got to rise up and stab these people. God needs to make a superhero to kill all these bad guys. Part of understanding the history of the early church is understanding that people were walking to their deaths in obedience to Jesus, following the example of Jesus. And that that bore fruit 
verse 24, not just the sacrifice of Jesus, but the sacrifice of Stephen and the sacrifice of so many of the apostles, most of whom, almost all of whom, lost their lives because of Christ. It did not mean that God wasn't paying attention for a little bit, that the Apostle Paul was executed. It meant that God fulfilled his purpose for the life of the Apostle Paul, who he told, you're going to be executed. Some of these guys craved the opportunity to be able to be like him unto his death and talked about it. Very few of them actually knew it was coming. Paul was one of those. Jesus said, you will face this kind of death. The Apostle Paul was told that, knew that, knew he'd preach somehow before kings, before it happened, but he didn't realize he'd be doing it in chains. What he says when he says he's going to be glorified, and when we think, I'm ready to get glorified. Wait, Lord, Clayton's going to be glorified? Huh, sounds great. When you're getting ready to be glorified, it may cause your soul to be troubled. Because what he can call you to is a taking up of your cross that looks even more radical than doing the dishes. That looks even more radical than having a coworker think that you're a little over the line in how much you talk about Jesus. The church again and again has had examples of people who gave up their very lives to follow Jesus. And it wasn't out of his plan, it was part of his plan. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I believe that persecution of Christians, persecution of the church, will continue to get worse in America. I think that our culture is increasingly hostile to faith. I think that that will continue to get worse and worse and worse. And I think that like the Pharisees, there will be a fake churchianity piece that's acceptable. In China right now, you can be in the state-sponsored church and it's fine. But if you're in a real church, a church that doesn't worship communism first under their authority, but just worships Christ, you're in extreme danger of being killed. Persecution is coming to America, and guys, we shouldn't say, well, that's not persecution because the person didn't get killed. But we also should recognize that even if we lose jobs, even if we are persecuted in ways that really hurt, it's not like we're following in the way that so many have throughout church history. Because I'll just say it this way. I don't think in my lifetime people are going to be executed by the state for following Jesus in the United States. Okay? So will we face persecution? Yes, cultural persecution. Will we be killed for our faith? Probably not. The persecution that we will suffer in America is light in comparison to the persecution suffered by brothers and sisters right now in North Korea, in China, in Vietnam. So following Jesus, serving, being like Jesus means taking up our cross. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. Randy, I don't even know if this is one of the passages you love for biblical counseling, but now is my soul troubled, period. So after three months of some real intentional intervention, a lot of self-care, some massages, 
some of the right scents that he's surrounding himself with, smelling just, then he's not troubled any longer. Is that the picture here? Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus in John 14 is going to say, don't let your soul be troubled. Now, this is a kind of a hard thing to hold at the same time. Was Jesus troubled in his soul? The answer is yes. Should we allow ourselves to be stuck in being troubled in our soul because of impending challenges, persecution? No. Well, wait, okay. Okay, listen, I'm going to need something clear here. Are we allowed to be troubled? Uh, yes. Okay, so it's, it's totally normal to just be, tr I mean, mostly troubled. Like, I, we want to be real in our church, so you're going to see me the next six months. I mean, I'm troubled. That's what's going down. N no. That's not where we're supposed to stay. How do you get out from being soul is troubled to not soul is troubled? What did Jesus do? Jesus told himself the truth. He told himself the truth. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When we're faced with something, not the natural consequences of sin, we've talked about that before, see me later if you're not clear on that, but God calling you to something hard and is troubling your soul, remind yourself that's why we're here. Taking up our cross, being servants, sacrificing ourselves is our purpose for existence. And if we tell ourselves that, if we keep that perspective, we won't stay troubled by that. As Matthew Henry said in his commentaries, nature gets the first word, but divine love and wisdom gets the last word. And Jesus moves so quickly from, I'm troubled, to glorify your name. Then, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Verse 30, Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. So guys, because God sent a voice for the sake of the audience, everyone understood what God was saying, right? People all fell down immediately and worshipped God and said, This is, this is great. We just heard, okay, Jesus, we, it already happened once at the baptism of Jesus. Now, and again, a voice has come from heaven. And we all know, okay, Lord, we're going to follow you. Okay, is that what happened? I skipped over a verse if you're, if you're reading there on your Bible or Bible app. 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Uh, and then others, but, but somebody got, they really, others said, an angel has spoken to him. Uh, no, no and no. No and no. Neither of those were what actually happened. Well, I'm so thankful we're not like those people. We are nothing like them. Guys, does God speak today for our benefit? And do we hear it when he does? Thunder to me is so clearly tied to the concept of academics saying, those Bible stories are so cleverly created. They come together so well. They're coherent because, of course, they're, they're not contemporaneous accounts. They were cobbled together to try to spread a new propaganda of sorts about Jesus. 
No, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories. This is the capital W word of God. It's perfect. It has no error. It speaks to us today. And if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you should be hearing his word clearly, not as thunder and not as the voice of an angel to somebody else, but you should hear it as speaking to your heart, speaking to you. 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan has power when we give him power. But as believers, he doesn't have any other power. He lost. He lost that battle, and he has lost the war. The final judgment has not yet happened, but we know the outcome. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 32. Guys, that's why I'm announcing today that Rob Bell is right and that everyone goes to heaven when they die. Nope. Rob Bell's wrong. We're going to see Jesus talking about his judgment in this same passage that we read today. Okay? But when he says, I'm drawing all people to myself, is there anything we could draw from this context? What's he talking about? Yeah. Who were the chosen people of God until this? Chosen people of God were the Jews. The Jews. Who are coming and asking, we want to see Jesus? The Gentiles. Jesus is saying, I will draw all people groups. I will draw all kinds of people. I will draw people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will bow the knee and before the throne of God. Say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is not saying everybody gets to become a Christian. Everybody's going to be a Christian. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die, a death in which the curtain in the temple was torn in two, where God said, no longer is there going to be separation between myself and a certain group of people through intermediaries. There's only one intermediary between God and man, and that is Christ. I will draw all people to myself. The crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I prayed and felt that I'm supposed to share this part. I don't, who, I don't know who this is for, but 35. I've taught this. I don't think preached this. I think I taught it probably at a summer camp incorrectly. But that we're, we're kind of like the moon. You guys know where's the moon get its light? Does it have its own internal light? No, it just reflects the light. I, now, this is not an attempt to like, be a physics nerd in a sermon. But guys, we're sons if we're in Christ. Okay? Not because we have our own strength, but because he's indwelling us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You are supposed to be glorifying God with his light that's pouring out of you. Well, I mean, in a way where it's reflected in the sense that it doesn't originate with it. Here's the reason that it matters that we're suns and not moons. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The indwelling power of the Spirit of God is within you. 
I, I'd still say it's kind of a reflection. Okay, sure, but you have the sun with you. What happens to the moon some of the time? It's no longer in a place where you can see the sun, right? Do you ever have to walk in darkness as a Christian? Are you ever stuck in a place where the light is gone? No. No, that's not who we are. We're sons and daughters, but we're S-U-Ns as well through the power of Christ. It's his power that's doing it. We're not creating it. We're not making it. He is, but he's sticking it inside of us. The Greeks just wanted to see him, but he's doing so much more than being seen. He is indwelling his people. He's filling us. It's not enough to just see him. We must serve him. But next we're going to talk about unbelief. This is the passage where he's quoting from Isaiah. And this is a very hard thing to understand I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. The bottom line is, prophetically, Jesus was not going to be accepted as God's son, as the Messiah, by the Jewish people. And he wasn't. Isaiah said these things, 41, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. It's 42 and 43. I mean, Sandra, could we just have that as a whole sermon right there? Could we just read that five or six times? That's the fear of man, and that's in the church too much, guys. It's in the church way too much. I encounter in the church, I encounter in nonprofit ministry a lot. Hey guys, if we keep our head down, if we never say anything controversial, if we avoid the H word, people won't ever get mad. People will be happy. Just do like the 1 Corinthians 13 part about love. Be gentle. Remember, Jesus was gentle. Jesus was meek. I'm sure we can avoid persecution. Uh, Jesus says no. You can't. When did he say that? When he promised persecution for all of his followers? If you've never experienced persecution, consider that you may not be walking in obedience to the one who promised persecution for all of his followers. Oh, so you're saying we should try to be offensive. No, I'm saying be obedient. Be obedient and recognize that when we are obedient, when our desire is the glory that comes from God, not the glory that comes from man, man will reject us. John 3, the darkness hates the light. It despises the light. People aren't going to go, oh, you're a Christian. That is so sweet. Tell me more. Guys, that happens sometimes, but you know what happens way more than that? How dare you judge me? How dare you say that? You think you're better than me. Oh, I don't think I'm better than you. But Jesus is so much better, and he transformed my life, and I want you to know him. This is the last piece, and it's a picture that Jesus gives of how we are like him how we are like him and following him. We are representatives of reconciliation, 44 through the end of the chapter. We do nothing of our own authority. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. It's so wild to think that we are pointing people to Jesus, but that Jesus, did Jesus have authority in a way that we don't? Absolutely. But Jesus emptied himself. Did Jesus walk in perfect obedience and submission? Yes. 
So that's the exact picture that we're supposed to follow. What are we supposed to walk in? Perfect obedience and submission. Did Jesus do things to glorify himself, or was he saying that his Father, in a sense, is getting the glory? Even through the Trinity, he's providing us a picture of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be about glorifying him, not glorifying ourselves. Jesus even modeled that as God because of the way he emptied himself, because of the way that he walked in obedience. So does all of this apply? No. <laughs> Whoever believes in me believes in not me, but in him who sent me. Okay, we can get there. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Guys, that should apply to us way more than it does. And what does that mean? Have you ever been around like a, okay, there, uh, sanctification is not linear, caveat. Sanctification is not linear. Not every 90-year-old Christian is the most godly, okay? But have you ever been around a retired missionary who's like 89 and you're just thinking, I feel like I'm in the presence of Christ. When people walk faithfully for decades with Jesus and they're being sanctified and sanctified and sanctified and sanctified, this verse comes so true that it should be an incredible encouragement to our faith. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. When you meet someone who laid down their life on the mission field for 50 years, for 60 years, who sacrificially gave of everything they had, and you just spend some time with them, you walk away feeling closer to Christ because you've just seen Jesus in them, in the way they live their life. As a body, we should desire that for ourselves and for everyone else in our church. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that ever who, whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And Rob Bell says, Amen. But guys, we say amen here because it's not a teaching of universalism. Look at the next verse. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Um, oh, sorry. I, the next verse was 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So is Jesus, and this time he's speaking in John 12, there in the role of judge? He's not. Is Jesus coming back in the role of judge? He is. Not everyone goes to heaven. Those who reject Christ will receive judgment. It gives urgency to us. But are we here missionally to judge the lost? No. We are not. Oh, could the church mess that up? Yes. Does the church mess that up? Yes. So let's go over it again. Are we here missionally to judge the lost? No. Uh, so we're never supposed to judge anybody, right? No, actually, the church is supposed to judge believers within the church and church discipline. And Okay. But back to the question that's at issue here, are we missionally called to judge the lost? The answer is no. We are not here to judge the lost. We are here to walk in obedience for the glory of God and point the lost to him, to him, by our example, 
by our sacrifice. Now, if only there was a very practical application, if only there was something to take away from this, well, I'll say for me reading this, 42 and 43 was like, oh, don't fear man, don't fear man, speak the truth boldly, and love the glory that doesn't come from men, it comes from God. I've said this before to my wife, I have friends who I love who desire that at some point there will be a glowing review written about the work of Thrive, written about my work in the New York Times. Guys, let me say this clearly. If the New York Times ever writes a really glowing review about me, at some point I have erred pretty badly. Because guess what the New York Times doesn't love? The light. They don't. Oh, is everyone the ultimate evil of the New York Times? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they're not Christians. They're lost. And they're not going to look and go, we love what's happening at Thrive. They're going to say, how dare you proselytize those kids? Why do you keep talking about hell? How dare you? That's not loving at all. That's not kind. You don't believe what we say you have to believe, so we're mad at you. If you change everything you believe and follow what we say instead of what the Bible says, we'll write a glowing review of you. God rescue us from ever wanting that. That's what man can give. That's the glory that man can give, and it's such a poor substitute. We will not receive our reward as believers on this side of eternity. It's not what we should be chasing. What we should do is, is be working toward, diligently working toward, hearing after we die. Well done, good and faithful servant. His glory is all that matters. His approval is all that matters. It's what we should desire with all of our hearts. The picture of working and walking this out the homework that everyone can think about if you're thinking, what do I do that makes this happen? Read Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is a picture of all of this. And the easiest way to talk about the meta part there is be thankful and speak words of love and put your mind on things above and be an example of wisdom and kindness and the fruits of the Spirit in the way we speak to each other. And if you do that, Every lost person will love you. No. Again, Jesus promised it doesn't work out that way. But if you do that, you will be a picture of only saying what he's told you to say, which is what Jesus claimed for himself and what he desires to see in us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we don't have to try to do anything in our own strength. We know how foolish and how futile that is. God, we want to be like you until it gets uncomfortable. We want to be like you until our soul becomes troubled because you're asking us to take up our cross. Rescue us from fear of man. Rescue us from a desire to have the glory of man. Weigh our hearts down with a desire to only see you glorified. The power of the symbol of shame of this world is that you broke it and brought glory through it. As we encounter people who are angry at the truth that you've called us to share, help us to respond in love. 
we only have one possible response that looks like you to our enemies to show them love to our friends to show them love make us faithful as we do that where we want to be like Jesus we want to follow his example we are so grateful for the power that you give us you did not leave us as orphans you sent the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell us help us to hear your voice as we think about people blowing off something you said as thunder help us to reject naturalistic explanations for supernatural power we know that there's power in your word because we know that and believe that help us to desire to know that and to hear that more than we desire anything else more than we desire to watch a fun movie or watch a great show enjoy a favorite sporting event listen to favorite music god help us to want to hear your voice so that we might walk in obedience to you so that our obedience might bring you glory and we'll be careful to give you the praise in jesus name amen benediction and now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God. Be glory, honor, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. We have um, special snacks tonight in honor of the birthday of Alex. It's going to be tomorrow, and we're excited about that. So, Alex, happy birthday. I think we're gonna we're gonna share a birthday song soon. I get to hear Chuck. I, I'll ask him to start off a strong happy birthday in a minute, and that'll be nice. Acapella just crush a happy birthday. Um, and <laughs> and uh, we also are not requiring everybody to come to this. It is completely optional. But if you are not celebrating Samhain, Lord of the Dead, on the Wicked Holiday of Halloween. That's, that's mostly a joke, guys. Uh, but we're going to do a little fire uh, s'mores. We're going to give out candy also, but on Wednesday night, we're going to do something at our house. So anybody's welcome to come to that. We'll do a worship night, and it'll be great. All right, let's sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alex. Happy birthday to you. 